It is a, a joy and a privilege to be able to participate in installing Pastor Cruz in his new role as senior pastor of the Lebanon Biofellowship Church. So I thank you for this opportunity. The term pastor is a very important word for describing the role of an individual in the life of a church. In the Bible, there are a number of words to describe the position that a pastor occupies. He is referred to as an elder, as he is to exercise authority in the church. In our text, 1 Peter 5.1, so I exhort the elders among you. So the elders we understand to be in two classes. They are the preaching, teaching elders and the ruling elders. And so as one of the elders, but in the particular role as pastor, we come today. He is referred to as an overseer in that he is invested with a responsibility to watch over a people, to literally look out for them. 1 Peter 5.2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. But first and foremost, he is a pastor. And a pastor is a shepherd. That is what a pastor is to do. That is his function. That is his role. 1 Peter 5.2 states, shepherd the flock of God. The word pastor means shepherd. Shepherding speaks of a special relationship that is to be enjoyed between the pastor and his people. A pastor is not the president of a company. A pastor is not the CEO of a business. A pastor is a shepherd of the flock. The duty of a pastor is to shepherd. That is, to feed the sheep, which involves preaching and teaching, but is not limited to preaching and teaching. It is far more than that. For a shepherd also guards, protects, comforts, heals, leads, and nurtures the sheep. Peter writes and tells the pastors to shepherd, in verse 2, the flock of God. It's always important to remember that the congregation consists of God's people. God's people in the sense that they are chosen by him, redeemed by his blood, and consecrated to God for his service by the Holy Spirit. As pastors, we must always keep in mind that we are under shepherds. The Lord Jesus himself is described in verse 4 as the chief shepherd, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are underlings. We are assisting the Lord Jesus in the care of his flock, his church. Thus, we must always minister in keeping with the Lord's will and following the Lord's example. Jesus is the good shepherd. He gives his life for the sheep. We are called to follow his example, and embody his ways. 
So my theme for this installation service this morning is a consideration of the manner in which a pastor is to shepherd the people of God. What is shepherding to look like? How is it to be done? Well, in our text, we have a series of couplets that instruct us in the manner in which the shepherd is to shepherd the flock. The first half of the couplet describes what a shepherd should not do, followed by what a shepherd should do. So first, pastors should not fulfill their role as shepherd because they have to, but because they want to. Notice verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, now these words, not under compulsion, but willingly. We begin by looking at this phrase, not under compulsion. Here we find that pastors are not to serve merely out of a sense of duty and obligation. Now don't get me wrong, there are clearly duties and obligations that we must fulfill as a pastor if we're going to be faithful. We are accountable to God for fulfilling those responsibilities. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me! if I do not preach the gospel. Paul knew that he had a duty. He knew he had a responsibility. He said, I don't take any grounds for boasting. That's what I must do. In fact, woe is me if I don't do it. However, pastors are to serve willingly. That is, that they are to delight in their service for the Lord. They are to view such service as a blessing, a privilege, an honor to serve the Lord in that manner and capacity. So 1 Peter 5, 2 says, willingly, willingly. It is commendable and appropriate to rejoice and to delight in the privilege of serving as a pastor. For going back to that section in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul writes, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me, if I do not preach the gospel. And then he goes on to say, for if I do this of my own will, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So I always have this responsibility, but the willingness, the excitement, the Joy and appreciation is what is deserving of the reward. It's the recognition of this incredible blessing that God has given to one who is a pastor. So a, a pastor should never grumble or complain or view his responsibilities as a chore or as a hardship. In the time of Malachi... God was displeased with the priests because they resented their priestly duties. 
In Malachi chapter 1, starting at verse 12, it reads, But you profane it, referring to the offerings, when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord. You say, what a weariness. How troublesome. How difficult it is. And you snort at it. You literally turn up your nose at it. Rather than be thankful and recognize God's grace in your life, you have the audacity to turn up your nose at the privilege that God gives you in serving him. Pastor Cruz, I know that you have been looking forward to being a senior pastor. I know you consider it a privilege and a joy to be a senior pastor. Never lose sight of the privilege it is. While there are duties and responsibilities, they are the most precious and wonderful duties that a person can be entrusted with. Yes, there are times in which we grow weary. Yes, there are times because we are human that we may feel burdened, but at those times, it's important that we look to the Lord to renew our strength and that we always give thanks to our God for being entrusted with such a wonderful blessing and work to do. It is a privilege and a joy to be able to serve God in this manner. I'm often, often amazed at how wonderful it is that we get to spend our time serving the Lord freely, spending time in his word. The things that so many in this congregation would love to be able to spend their time rather than going off to secular work. We have that privilege to be involved in dedicating our lives wholly to the Lord. Secondly, pastors should not fill their role as a shepherd because of what they can get out of being a pastor, but because of what they can contribute to the church and to society in being a pastor. Negatively, our text states that a pastor should not serve for shameful gain in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. Shameful gain is gain that is acquired in a shameful manner. The gain that is in view is primarily financial gain. False teachers are those who depart from the truth of God's word out of a desire for personal wealth, enrichment, ambition. This same phrase is given to us in Titus, where it says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, there's our phrase, what they ought not to teach. They are willing to sell themselves and to sell the gospel in order for them to advance themselves. In 2 Peter 
chapter 2, there is a reference made to Balaam. Balaam was an Old Testament prophet who was willing to sell himself to a wicked king in exchange for wealth and position and honor that that king could bestow. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 reads, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. That's what we're talking about, gain from wrongdoing. In both these instances, the individuals are motivated to speak as a result of financial reward. They are willing to say and do what people want them to say and do as opposed to what God wants them to say and do. Pastor Cruz, you must never be bought. Never reduce the pastorate to a livelihood. Pastors must be willing to preach and teach and act in keeping with the word of God, whether it costs you your livelihood or not. Whether it means you won't get a paycheck next week is not the issue. It's faithfulness to God and to his word. Don't ever make ministry decisions based solely on issues of finances, of race, raises, or of advancement. What church you're going to take or how long you are going to minister here. Those are not the bases, and I know that that is not what is in your heart. But guard your heart that those thoughts would never be there. It's not wrong for a pastor to be paid. In fact, in 1 Corinthians it says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial things in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So we're not talking about whether one is paid or not, but we're talking about whether one is in it for the money or not. It's wrong to be controlled by financial concerns. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But there are other selfish reasons for which a pastor can serve. But a pastor is not to serve for those selfish reasons he is to serve with a generous spirit. 1 Peter 5.2. It says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but here's the positive, but eagerly. Eagerly. To serve eagerly is to serve magnanimously. That is, with a generous and gracious Spirit. It is the primary thought of generosity, of giving freely to others. There is a personal cost that is associated with 
the kind of leadership that a pastor is to evidence. This service is not to be selfish, but to selfless. It is to invest oneself in the lives of others. I love that terminology, to invest. We all know what investments are. People that are putting out their money in order to get interest, in order to get gain. You're looking for some kind of outcome, some kind of benefit that comes from your investment, whether it be security, whether it be wealth, whether it be prosperity. You're looking for a, an outcome. But we are not to be investing in ourselves. We are to be investing in others. That is trying to produce an outcome, a benefit, a reward that others are going to receive, that they are going to be helped, that they are going to be advanced, that they are going to be blessed. We invest in others, not ourselves. There are many ways that generosity of spirit can be manifested. Let me speak of just one way. Time is such an important commodity. The cliche that we all have but 24 hours in a day is more than just a cliche, it's truth. Time must be seen as precious and never wasted. In the scripture, time is to be redeemed. In Ephesians 5, 15 and following, it reads, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. The King James translates that, redeeming the time. Making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. The priorities and values of this world are really messed up. People spend their time, people waste their time on things that are not valuable, things that are not useful, things that are not helpful, in fact, things that are harmful, things that are destructive, things that dishonor God. We need to look at the use of our time differently than those around us. Make the most, the best use of your time. As I think about the challenging areas in pastoral ministry, I think that one of the most challenging and difficult areas is time management. Balancing time with family, with time for ministry, with time for personal growth and spiritual development. It can be a challenge. Pray that God will give you wisdom. There will be many demands for your time. People will want your time. There will be many, many opportunities that are afforded you. The opportunities to serve are virtually limitless. The pastorate 
is not a matter of choosing between the good and the bad, but it's often a matter of choosing between the better and the best. Pray regularly and often for wisdom in the right use of your time. Try to be generous with your time for ministry. Brother, pray and pray hard. For our world doesn't share the values of the scripture. Try to be selfless. Try to be generous in the use of your time. Third, pastors should not be demanding in their leadership, but be servants in their leadership. That is, pastors are to lead by example. First Peter 5.3, it says, not, demand, not domineering over those in your charge. Not domineering. A pastor is to have a servant attitude. Jesus, in rebuking his disciples, said this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give him life as a ransom for many. We must always bear in mind that we are here to serve, not to be served. In that servanthood, a pastor is to lead by example. He is to be calling the sheep to follow him. Sheep are not cattle. Cattle are driven. But sheep are to be led. We are to be out in front in the sense of setting a right course, a right example for others to follow. 1 Peter 5.3 says, not domineering over their, those in your charge, but rather being examples to the flock. Be examples to the flock. That's how we lead. We lead by example. Paul exhorts the Corinthians to follow him as he follows Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We are never the standard, and we don't set ourselves up to be the standard. We don't call people to follow us because of our wisdom, our insight, our character. We ask people to follow us as we follow Christ, as we are under shepherds. We're ultimately asking them to follow Christ. But as they ask the question, what does that look like? We have the responsibility of pointing the way. We say it looks like this. Not just to declare what it looks like, but to show it. I understand the inconsistencies. I understand the inconsistencies in my own life, but it can't be an excuse. It's a duty, and we can't shirk it. I remember years ago, 
Barkley of the Philadelphia Phillies said, I'm not here to be an example when he was being chastised by his conduct. We can't say that. We are here to be an example. In order to gain followers, we must have respect. Respect is to be given and respect is to be earned. There is a respect that is to be given to one who holds the office of a pastor. Congregation, Pastor Cruz deserves our respect for the office that he holds. We must always, always have an appreciation for the role of a senior pastor. But there's not only respect that is deserved, there is also respect that is earned. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example. Here we are again. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Don't look, let anyone look down on you because you're young. But instead, may they look up to you as they see the manner in which you live your life. Pastor Cruz deserves our respect because of the office that he holds. But I'll tell you, Pastor Cruz also deserves respect for the manner in which he has conducted himself. He has been setting a tremendous example for our teens, and he's been inspiring them to their own service of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has grown up in our church. We have watched him from a youth, and he has conducted himself admirably. But he has not just been setting a good example for the teens. He's been setting a good example for all of us. Pastor Cruz has conducted himself in an exemplary manner throughout the whole process of the pastoral search committee seeking a new senior pastor. He has demonstrated respect for the members of the search committee and the process. He has demonstrated patience. He faithfully, willingly, humbly, and joyfully continued to fulfill his duties as an assistant pastor throughout this entire time. Pastor Cruz demonstrated a willingness to submit to the search committee and the pastor and the elders without grumbling or complaining when it looked like he was not going to be the senior pastor. That did not deter him. That did not deflect him. That did not alter his commitment to the Lord and to this church. In addition, he has always shown great respect to me, kindness and appreciation, both, well, during the time as a child, a teen, young adult, coming on staff, and 
than taking the role as senior pastor. Pastor Cruz has demonstrated he can deal with disappointment. He demonstrated graciousness in the response that he had when asked to be the next senior pastor. He has demonstrated humility and did not become arrogant when he was called to be the next senior pastor. Pastor Cruz has modeled a teachable spirit. And he has continued in that teachable spirit. And even inviting me to speak today says a lot about our brother and his attitude toward others. Pastor Cruz, I respect you. Pastors should shepherd with the recognition that our ultimate accountability and reward comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When Jesus returns, he rewards faithful service. And that reward is described as an unfading crown of glory. There is a comparison here, an unstated one, about the kind of crown that a, a champion would receive in the period of time in which we are, we are talking. A, a champion in the New Testament era that would have won a race would not have gotten a gold medal to be worn around uh, his neck, but he'd been given a garland wreath to place on his head. But over a period of time, that garland wreath would wither. It would dry up. It would lose its glory. The praise of men fades. It loses its glory. I want to express to all of you this morning the appreciation that Bonnie and I have for the kindnesses that you have demonstrated to us for the service that we had last Sunday night. It warmed our hearts. It thrilled us. We're thankful. But it fades. The time for us is to move on. The glory ends. It's to be conferred to another. The praise of men doesn't last. People can be fickle. They can be with you one day and against you the next. I've said to you often, a pastor has to be Thick-skinned, but tender-hearted. Never serve for the praise of men. Always serve for the praise of God. For there is nothing greater than to hear one day the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We're about to transition to the part of the service where Pastor Cruz is officially installed as the senior pastor. But before that happens, I have something else I want to say. A driving verse 
for me in my ministry, of Pastor Cruz knows extremely well, comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As I think about the focal point of ministry, it is the equipping of the next generation. It is raising up a people who stand in our stead. Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those who love his appearing. We are to be preparing people to love that appearing, and we share in that joy. I have often likened that thought of passing on to the next generation of faith, of passing a baton. It's a relay race in which one generation runs their leg and then passes off to the next generation. This is a service in which we're passing the baton. Pastor Cruz, would you come up here, please? Join me on the platform. We need to realize that all of us stand on the shoulders of previous generations. Going all the way back to the Apostle Paul, who handed the baton to Timothy, who then handed the baton to still another and to still another, and has come down to us today. I think of our own Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church. I think of past generations. Pastor Hublick, Ethel Herb's father, pastored this church. Dan Ziegler, director of church, ex church extension. Pastor Ellingson, pastor before me, who passed the baton to me. Brother, you know, the, the amazing thing about a baton is you pass it for a period of time, you both have a hold of it. We had that time together when we were both holding on to this baton, getting ready for the transition. Brother, it's all yours. <laughs> all the privileges, all the joys, all the respect, I gladly hand over to you. Lord bless. <laughs> pastor Soper, our conference pastor, is going to come and uh, lead us in the next section.